All righty, good morning. Um, we're going to finish up this series. Uh, we've been uh, kind of working through this concept of uh, unentitled and how we, that's, that's sort of a pushback against um, the, the world, the culture that we live in that kind of says like, there, there are certain things that should just come to you in life. You just deserve certain benefits, certain advantages, certain successes. You deserve to be treated a certain way by everyone. Um, there's just this sense of, of entitlement, this, this unrealistic expectation about what should come to us in life. But we've been saying, no, we're, we're unentitled. We want a realistic expectation about what should come to us in life. And that, that is that God will provide for our needs. That's a realistic expectation about what should come to us in life. God will provide for our needs. So we've, we've talked mostly, this, this conversation sort of centers naturally around uh, material needs, food, shelter, clothing, um, which, which brings in the conversation of money, which is how we buy those things. Um, but there are, there are all kinds of needs that we have as human beings. We, we need to be loved. We need to have a place where we belong. Um, we, we need to have some sense of uh, security or confidence in the future. Um, which we kind of call hope or peace. Um, and these are, these are human needs as well. And so when, when we say God will provide for our needs, we're not just talking about enough food to eat and a place to live. We're, we're talking about all of those things, the, the love and belonging that we need and the connection, the hope and the peace and the joy and, and the sense of purpose and what we do. All of those are tied in with this confidence that God is the source uh, of all of our needs. And God is an abundant God. We, we've said that multiple times uh, from Genesis chapter one uh, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount last week that God is a God of abundance. When it comes to providing needs, God's lim- un- unlimited resources are abundant. That he, he doesn't run out of love to give. He doesn't run out of, of ways to provide for us. But the world pushes back and this kind of comes from human nature that says, um, maybe there's not enough. There's, we talked about scarcity mindset, which says, I don't, I don't know if there is enough to go around. And if there's not, how am I gonna make sure that my needs are met? Maybe I have to work harder than somebody else. Maybe I have to, maybe I have to get some, find some way to gain an advantage or gain leverage over other people so that I can make sure that, that me and my family are taken care of. And that scarcity mindset leads to division and 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 oppression and corruption and all kinds of things that we see in our world that we would just call evil, right? So a lot of that just comes from this mindset that there's not enough to go around. <clears throat> so part of this conversation is, is asking this question, how much is enough? What are we gonna be satisfied with? Uh, part of it is the question, um, what, what is the... What is the lifestyle? What are, what are the choices that I can make? What are the steps that I can take that will lead me to uh, eventual happiness, eventual happiness, a place where I, I will just be content and happy and at peace with my life? And so uh, we, we have sort of seen different answers to that question through the generations here in, in our country and our culture, right? So my parents' generation had, had a map that they sort of followed that, that this, is the, this is the way to contentment and happiness. And it looked kind of like this. Uh, work hard, save up, retire at 65, right? That, that was sort of the map. This involved just being loyal, do, doing, doing your part. You, you show up on time, you work till the last bell, um, you, you don't, you know, spend. My grandfather, this is probably more my grandfather's generation who would say like, if you don't have the cash, you shouldn't buy it. Right, and that even came to his his house. He built his own home 
with his own cash. He, he never, uh, his, he had a terrible credit score because he never owed money to anyone for anything. And, and, and my dad, I remember my dad asking him, hey, uh, you know, Papa, don't you want to build up your, he's like, what do I need credit for? <laughs> if I don't have the cash, I'm not going to buy it. That's the, the sort of this mindset, work hard, save up, retire at 65. And, and if, if we put this on the map of the United States, it would go like um, Cicero, uh, Tennessee, Florida, you know, <laughs> that's what that looks like on a map. Uh, there's a different map in the world uh, today. Uh, and and you, may, you may think of this as a generational thing, and, and in some senses it is, but in some senses it's also just a cultural shift. And so the map today is not linear like that. It looks more like this, <laughs> uh, which is kind of all over the place. And it, and it kind of begins with the idea of self-actualization, which is uh, you've heard kind of the be true to yourself and, and live your own story. And, and you are the only person who really knows what will make you happy so you get to decide, you define what makes you happy, and no one can tell you that you're wrong or that th- there's something else or something more than what you believe will make you happy. And so this, this map is all about having the freedom to be who I want to be and to express that in whatever way I, I choose. Um, it's about having choices uh, with, with how I uh, go about my life. It's about being able to pursue my passions, whatever I'm passionate about, whatever I care about, whatever I think I'm good at, I should have the opportunity, I have, should, should have the freedom and the choices to pursue my passions. And eventually, I, I should arrive at a place where I am loved by all the people that, that around me, that matter to me. Ultimately, all people, all people should love me because I am being the truest version of myself. Now, this, is the, this is the current map. Now, you don't see anywhere in here anything about career or how much money you make, that, that's not as much of value as, as it used to be. So this, this uh, regarding career and, and income, would say the, the way the world should work is I should get to do what I love and someone should pay me enough to have an enjoyable life. Like that's how it sh- the world should work, right? I should just get to do what I love and someone will pay me enough that, that I get to enjoy a lifestyle that... that that I want, that I think will make me happy. So that's the current, that's the current map. The problem with, with this map, there, there were problems with the previous map too. So all, all the maps we have that don't start with, on the foundation of, of godly principles, all those maps have problems. Uh, so the problem with this one is it assumes that we know what will make us happy, right? And, and I think, you know, on the surface, if I say, you know, do you, do, you, do you have a good idea of what would make you happy? Most of us would say yes. But why then do we so often experience uh, things like this? Like, you know, I really thought that this job was gonna make me happy and, and it didn't. I really thought that this raise was gonna make me happy. I really thought that this vacation or when we bought this house or when we were able to drive this kind of car, that, that then I would be happy and it, it just didn't work out that way. I really thought that this relationship, this person was going to be the source of my happiness. All I needed was to, to get a commitment from this person and I would be happy. And guess what? It just didn't, it didn't actually work out. Or you, you get the flip side of that where you say, I never thought I would really like this. I'd really like this job or I'd really be satisfied with this income or I'd really um, be satisfied in this, with this kind of person, but, but actually I am. When I was 20 years old, the last job I wanted in all of the world was to stand in front of people on a Sunday morning and preach sermons. The la- 20 years old, the last job I wanted was to do this job. If you had asked me at 20, what kind of job would make you happy? I could have given you a list of 100 things before I got to this one. 
and I love it. We, here's the, here's the, my point. We are terrible at knowing what's gonna make us happy, at predicting what's gonna make us happy. We're, we're just not good at it. We don't know ourselves nearly as well as we think we do. That's the trouble with self-actualization as a foundation for your map to happiness as a starting point because we don't, we don't actually know ourselves nearly as well as we think we do. That's why therapy is a thing. <laughs> it helps us know ourselves because we really don't. We're terrible at it. But we don't wanna say there is no map to happiness. There is no way to get there because there is someone who does know us completely, inside and out. We need his help, right? We need the, the help from our creator. We're, we're, since we're not good at this on our own, just human beings in general, this is not just a you thing, this is not just a generational thing. This is human beings in general are terrible at, at predicting what's gonna make us happy. We need some outside help. The problem with the outside help is we're not going to agree with it all the time. If our creator tells us, here's the path to contentment, peace, joy, happiness, we're gonna look at that path and we're gonna go, ooh, I doubt that that's gonna make me happy. So the question we're gonna have to circle back to at the end of this conversation, we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapters eight and nine today. So if you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and, and turn there. The question we're gonna circle back to is, do we trust God to know what will make us happy? What kind of lifestyle, what kind of choices will lead to peace and joy and contentment in life? Do we trust him to know that? Because he has made it pretty clear. It's just that most of us have looked at God's map and said, I doubt it. I doubt that that is actually gonna get me where I wanna go. I doubt it. So we have to ask this question today. So we're gonna start um, with 2 Corinthians chapter eight. In, in this passage, so the apostle Paul wrote this as a letter to the church in Corinth, which he planted and established uh, by just preaching the gospel to uh, Jews and Gentiles in the city of Corinth. He started this church and then he wrote these letters to encourage them, to remind them how to live out their faith. But Paul became aware that the, the Christians in Jerusalem were living in extreme poverty. And he took it upon himself. He decided, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up a collection from all the churches that, I've, that I'm associated with and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna send this money to the Christians in Jerusalem to, so that they can have their needs met because they're living in poverty there. So this, uh, these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, are uh, part of this letter where Paul is reminding the church in Corinth Hey, remember, don't forget, I'm coming to get this collection from you that you guys have agreed you're gonna send some money to Jerusalem and I'm coming to get it, uh, so be ready. So we're, we're, let's dive into this. Uh, we're gonna read most of these two chapters just in, in some chunks here. Second um, Corinthians 8, uh, we're gonna start in verse one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So Paul is gonna, he's gonna encourage the Corinthians to give, and he's starting with an example of the churches in Macedonia. This would include the churches, the church in Philippi. If you, you know the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, that was in Macedonia, so it would include those, those, those believers. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. All right, let me, let's, <clears throat> think about this sentence as a math equation, Okay. And I want you to tell me if this math adds up. 
in the midst of a very severe trial. So the Christians in Macedonia are being persecuted. Uh, the the non-believers, the pagans around them are making it really difficult for them to live out their faith because um, they see Christians as bad citizens because they don't pay the the taxes at the pagan temples and they don't participate in pagan worship, which everyone kind of, everyone else just kind of says, well, this is, this is how we have a good life as a community and the Christians aren't participating. And so they're, they're making life hard for the Christians. So they're in a severe trial, but they have overflowing joy. They also are in extreme poverty, which led to generosity. He might as well be saying two plus two equals a thousand, Right? As a math equation, this does not make logical sense. They're in extreme trial, but they're joyful. They're extremely poor, but they're very generous. Why? How, is that, how does that add up? Well, to, to understand that, we have to back up one verse. Can we back up one verse? I just wanna show you one word. We want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Grace from God is why verse two adds up. That, that's, that's the magic formula. That's the thing that makes verse two make sense. It starts with grace from God, which we'll, we'll come back to later. All right, let's continue. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Reckless generosity. We didn't make that up. We got it from here. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Okay, so the churches in Macedonia, uh, including uh, the church in Philippi, when they thought about generosity, they considered it a privilege, not an obligation. They considered it a sharing. They understood we're not doing this on our own. We are participating with believers from all over this area in this gift. This is not just on us. We are, we are participating with others. And it is a ministry. It is a service to the people. That is, a ministry is where God works through a person to bless another person. The person in the middle becomes a minister. So all believers are ministers in that sense. And the, the churches in Macedonia see this as a ministry that God is going to bless other people through us. That's how they thought about generosity. It is a privilege. It is, it is a sharing. It is something I do with other people. And it is a ministry, Right? Man, how would this change our thoughts about giving if this is how we thought about giving all the time? It is a privilege, not an obligation. It is a sharing and it is a ministry to others. God is using me to bless other people. So that's how the Macedonians, so Paul is basically laying out for the Corinthians, hey guys, the, the churches in Macedonia are doing a great job with this. He's kind of, he's kind of using this example to inspire them. It would be kind of like if our community decided, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna raise a bunch of money for Hope Clinic. We're gonna raise a, a ton of money in this community for Hope Clinic. And I came to you guys and I said, okay, remember, today's the day we're gonna collect money for Hope Clinic. And Arcadia Brethren Church, like they, they have just, they've, they've been through some stuff. It's been a really tough season for them, but man, they, they have really poured out a ton of generosity. So, so let's be inspired by what the church up the road is doing as we work together. This is kind of like what Paul's doing. He's saying, man, this church up the road from you guys, man, they have, they have really demonstrated incredible generosity because of the grace of God. So let's continue. Let's pick up in verse eight. Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So again, this is not an obligation. I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you how much to give. I just want you to see how God's grace 
is producing generosity somewhere else. So I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's grace again. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So uh, Paul says, let's, let's look at another example. So I told you about the churches in Macedonia. Let me, let me give you another example. Let's look at the example of Jesus. Was Jesus rich before he, he became a baby in, in Bethlehem? Uh, yeah, he actually owned everything. And he went from owning everything, living in complete comfort, all of his needs always met to coming to earth where he was going to be hungry. Uh, he, he was gonna live poor. He said at times, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. He chose that. He chose poverty so that you could become rich. And not, not like financially rich, but rich in, in the ways that God provides for our eternal needs. Forgiveness from sin and grace and peace and joy and purpose. They are rich in, in this sense because Jesus' choice to become poor. What, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's setting up um, a, a connection between three words. We're gonna dive into these three words a little bit more later on, but I want you to remember them right now. Abundance, gratitude, and generosity, okay? Paul's setting up a connection between these three concepts, and he's gonna talk about how they're interrelated. So he's given examples from the churches in Macedonia and the example of Jesus. Um, so let's pick up again in uh, chapter nine, verse six, and we're gonna see this, uh, this play out. So I want you to watch for examples of those three words, abundance, gratitude, and generosity. Watch for ex examples of those, okay? He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And all the farmers said, amen. Uh, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So he's saying, he's saying be generous, but, but understand that, that when you're generous, you can count on the abundance of God, that God provides for your needs abundantly. So that in, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in what? Comfort, convenience, early retirement, luxury, no, you will abound in what? Every good work. God's abundance in our lives is not for us to just use to make our lives easier. It is for us to leverage for the sake of others. God's abundance in our life is not really for us. I mean, it's to take care of our needs, but anything beyond that that we would call abundance is for others. Let's continue. Verse 11, he said, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Okay, if you were looking for abundance, gratitude, and generosity, it means all over that passage, those few verses. He just says, there's, there's, when you're generous, it causes other people to be grateful and they experience abundance. And when they experience abundance, then God provides for them and they're grateful and then they get to be generous. It's, it's a cycle. It's, it's something that sort of is perpetuating. And the root of all of it is the grace 
of God. Remember, we started with 8.1, which says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. And then the last verse of chapter nine, verse, uh, verse 15, which, which is kind of the bookends of this conversation about giving, is thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Everything else that happens in the middle is a result of God's grace, this, this gift. So we start with, with asking the question, like what, what is it that we have? What, ha- what have we been given? And, and that's gonna lead us to some other questions. So first, I, I wanna kind of uh, take a, a moment to address something that uh, has come up almost every week, I think, of this series, where we've talked about God's abundance and God will provide what we need. What about when he doesn't? What about the people who don't have what they need? How are we supposed to think about that? Because the reality is there are poor people, right? If we define poverty as uh, not having sufficient income to meet your basic needs for food, shelter, and clothing, if that's how we define poverty, there are a lot of poor people, not just in the world, but even in our own community. So how how are we to understand these statements that Paul makes that sound like promises, don't they? God will provide all of your needs. God will abundantly provide so that you'll be rich in every way. How are we to understand that if there are poor people in the world? So I just wanna talk about two aspects of this I think it's important for us to consider. First of all, um, if you think like there's a simple, easy answer, and Adam is gonna put this in one sentence for you so that there's an answer to the the question of poverty uh, in in the face of God's abundance, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like that's not, I don't have like this simple like pithy one line statement for that. But I have two ideas or angles I think we need to approach this from. And one is um, the, the church. The people of God are intended to um, push back against poverty in the world around us. That, that's, that's, that's part of our job. That should be a natural outflow of who we are. It should be a natural outflow of the grace. That's why Paul is doing what he's doing with this collection for the people in Jerusalem. Why didn't Paul just tell the church in Corinth and the church in Philippi, hey, you guys should pray for the Christians in Jerusalem because they're experiencing poverty. Why didn't he just tell them to pray? Why don't you guys just pray for those Christians? Because they're poor. You should pray for them. Because I think Paul knew that God's answer to that prayer was, okay, you, they're poor and you want me to help them. So here's how I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna send you to help them. <laughs> I, I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless them. That would have been God's answer. So Paul doesn't even ask them to pray for the poor people. He tells them to give to the poor people because this is how God addresses poverty, largely through the church. God has blessed Christians In a lot of ways, there are a lot of poor Christians too, but God has blessed a lot of Christians with more than we need. And he has said, he's looked at us and said, hey, the reason you have more than you need is because there are people who don't have enough. And I would like to use you. I'd like to work through you. I want you to be a minister of my grace to other people by giving generously. Uh, So the church is supposed to be a part of the answer. What about people in the world who are poor? The second uh, answer to this that I think is harder to wrestle down sometimes is just the existence of human greed. Jesus told his disciples at one point, he said, the poor you will always have with you. 
And this wasn't, a, this wasn't Jesus saying you shouldn't do anything for the poor. Obviously, Jesus was very passionate about the poor, and that's throughout Scripture, God is very passionate about taking care of the poor. But Jesus also acknowledged, and, and I think we have to acknowledge, that because of the existence of human greed and selfishness and scarcity mindset, that there is going to be oppression and the strong will take from the weak. And, and poverty is, is going to be a problem in a world where human nature sort of has free reign. It's gonna be a problem. And so I don't know that I would say that, I think some people have said things like, well, if, if, if the Christians would just do their part, there wouldn't be any poverty in the world. I don't know that, that, that I am on board with that statement because we still live in a world where Satan has a lot of influence and power. Uh, to influence people towards greed and oppression and, and the selfishness, the kind of things that create poverty. Um, but it is really clear, abundantly clear through scripture that the church is supposed to be stepping in and um, giving in order to decrease poverty at, at least uh, as much as we can. Here's, here's how Paul sort of addresses this. We're gonna kind of go back to the middle of, of uh, verse uh, chapter two. He says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul is sort of referencing a concept that we would call percentage-based giving. So it's not like there's a flat fee that everyone should give. It's based on, based on what you have. You, you know, how, what, 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 what are your assets? How much income do you have? Like, what, what has God given you? And how much you give is based off of that. Uh, so he says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, so I'm not asking you to go into poverty so that you can give to others. He says, what we're after is but there, that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty, your abundance, will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty, their abundance, will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. That last line, some of you may remember from week two of the series is a reference to the manna that came for the people while they were in the desert, the Israelites in the desert. And uh, the line from Exodus was, the people went out and they gathered manna and those who, who gathered a lot didn't have too much and those who gathered a little didn't have uh, too little. And Paul said, this is, this, is the, this is the goal, this is the ideal um, for the church, is that within the church especially, uh, there, there, should be, there should be no needy among us. And we see this played out in the book of Acts when, when the church gets established and they start um, selling their possessions and giving to those who had need. The, it, the, it says in chapter four, there were no needy persons among them because the Christians took care of each other. And, and, and Paul, that's what Paul's pushing for. Let's, let's take care of each other. And how, how do we do that? How do we find our way to that? How do we embrace a mentality that leads to there being no needy persons among us? It's, it's this relationship between abundance, gratitude, and generosity. So I wanna show you this map again, and, and I wanna talk through it in terms of three questions that I think we need to ask on a regular basis. So question number one is, what do I have? What do I have? What do you have? I, I, I think we should make a list. Now, Thanksgiving is the perfect time for this. I mean, some of you do this at your family uh, dinner table on Thursday. You're gonna, you're gonna say, what are you thankful for? And, and everyone is gonna say things like family and you know, our home or our community. And those are all things that we should be thankful for. I, I wanted to go further than that. I challenge you to make a list and, and, and write some categories like under, under material possessions. What, what is it that we have? And make a list of the things that you own. Make a list, include how much money you have in the bank, in your savings, in your retirement accounts. 
What do you have? What do you have in terms of value and love? From the people around you? From people sitting at that table on Thursday? From God? What do you have in terms of hope and confidence in the future? You have, you have promises, right? That your sin has been dealt with and new creation is the destiny for all believers. What do you have? Make a list. Because what do you have? When we answer that question, then we can answer the next question is, who do I thank for what I have? Who do I thank for what I have? Because a lot of times, I think we miss this, you know? Thanksgiving is a great reminder, but it's gotta come more than once a year. Who do I thank for what I have? Where does my abundance come from? Most of the time, when you, you work hard all week, you put in your 40, your 50 hours, whatever, uh, of work, you get your paycheck at the end of this week and you look at that paycheck and you don't go, wow, this is fantastic. I am so grateful for, for this money that was given to me for the work that I put in. This is abundant. Now, most of the time we look at that paycheck and we go, that's, that's it? I mean, for, I, I did all of that work for this? Or we look at it and go, if I'm gonna thank somebody for this, it's me. I earned this. I put in the work. I did the time. I got up. I was on time every day. I did what I was told. I you know, made the organization better. I earned this. But abundance says from James chapter one that every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good thing is from God. So whatever we get on our list of when we ask the question, what do I have? And we make this list, scripture would tell us the person we thank for all of that is God. He, he gets the gratitude for everything. And sometimes the gratitude uh, it has a couple of levels, right? Uh, so my wife and I were, were given a gift uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, somebody just gave us an envelope with some money in it. And it was very nice and unexpected and, and a reward. And so who are we grateful to in that scenario? We're, we're obviously, we're grateful to the people who signed their name on the card. And I'm really grateful that they signed their name so that I have someone to be grateful to. But we're also grateful to God because we know that the reason why they gave that gift is because God is doing something in their life that allowed them to be generous to us. That's, so our gratitude is two-way, but it also always has to end with God. We believe that every good gift comes from God. So I ask, who, what do I have? Who do I thank for what I have? And then who can I bless because I'm grateful? Who can I bless because I'm grateful? My gratitude should always lead to generosity. That's the cycle. It should always lead to generosity. So then, then we have to ask some questions about who, who has needs around me. So here's where I just wanna end with a few practical suggestions about what we can do with our generosity. Okay, I, I yeah, well, let's go back one. So here's, here's, I think this can go different ways. Normally we start with abundance, asking the what do I have first, but that doesn't always, doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we have to start with generosity. Sometimes we don't feel these things. We don't feel like we have abundance and we don't feel particularly grateful. Sometimes we give anyway. And when we give anyway, what did Paul say would happen? God will abundantly bless you. When you give, when you are generous, even if you couldn't get to these emotions first, if you give, God will bless you. And then you'll be grateful and then you'll give again. Or your 
generosity will produce abundance in someone else's life, they will be grateful and they will give. You see how that works? I mean, it can go in any direction. These are interrelated. You can start at any point, okay? Uh, so now let's, let's talk about what generosity may need to look like in our lives. Uh, where can we push back against poverty? That's, that's the big question. If the church is supposed to be part of God's plan for dealing with poverty in the world, what are we supposed to be doing? So I think we need to think on a global level first. Uh, globally, um, poverty has been on de- the decline globally for about 20 years. We, as, as a world, we have been pushing back on poverty for 20 years until last year. It went up last year for the first time in 20 years and went up significantly. So it had been, it had been falling uh, at a rate of a few uh, hundred million every five years or so. And last year, one year alone, world poverty went up 100 million. We lost five years of ground in one year. Now, I, you, I don't know what the result, I mean, you gotta think that COVID, the pandemic has played a role in that, right? Because it's, it's unprecedented. So we lost ground. So global poverty is, is a thing. And when you think about uh, how bad this gets in different places in the world, it can be really overwhelming. So we need a channel. We need a channel to, to go through to address global poverty. And I just wanna throw out one suggestion. One suggestion is child sponsorship specifically through Compassion International or World Vision. What these two organizations do so well, and they've they've been doing this a long time and they've got it down, what they do so well is that they partner um, meeting needs of the poor with the gospel. And they take care of children and their families in an environment where they're being loved on by Christian people who care about not just their food and shelter, but also their, their eternity, their salvation. So I, I encourage you, if, if, if you're looking for a way to address global, global, pro, global poverty, Compassion International and World Vision are two good places to start. I think we also need to think locally. Um, Hamilton County has the lowest poverty rate in all of Indiana. Um, it's, at, it's at about 9.4% um, for uh, food insecurity is one measure of that. So it's 9, 9.4% for food insecurity. Marion County, the county south of us, has a 19.4% food insecurity, double what we have in Hamilton County. So when we think about our community and the needs here, there is definitely a need here. That's why we give to Angel's Attic and we partner with uh, organizations here, um, the feeding team. We've got the yellow box, the feeding team box out in our parking lot. That's why we do these things because there is food insecurity in Hamilton County, particularly Northern Hamilton County. But we also need to think a little broader and recognize that Marion County is, um, is it really, there are a lot of needs there and, and maybe we could reach out that way. So I encourage you uh, to invest in, in local thing, uh, opportunities. Uh, and then... Um, Oh, this was an idea I got from Anthony Burke. Anthony Burke keeps um, $5 McDonald's gift cards in his car all the time. So whenever he runs across somebody asking for money, he, he gives them a $5 McDonald's gift card. He always has one in his pocket. So instead of giving cash, some people are uncomfortable giving cash uh, to people who are asking for money. He doesn't give cash, but he does give something that could provide a meal for them. And so uh, that, I just thought that was a great idea. So I just wanted to sh- pass that on from Anthony. There you go. Um, and finally, we need to think about how we are addressing poverty within the church family. If, if we're really supposed to be the New Testament church and it's supposed to be uh, true of us that there are no needy persons among us, then how do we take care of that? Um, and one is through microchurch. If you're in a microchurch, I guarantee your microchurch is taking care of you. I, I have heard stories. I have seen this happen. I've seen microchurches who would host people in their homes when they were in transition with homes, who would provide meals, uh, who take care of people when they're sick. Microchurch is, is at the heart of our effort to care for people in our church family. 
Um, second, um, just through your regular giving, you are funding our benevolence efforts. We have a benevolence account here at Cicero Christian Church where if somebody comes to us with any need, if they're a part of our church family, we meet the need every time. Now, we also get requests from outside of the church family, and we have some ways that we, we kind of deal with and manage and make decisions about people outside the church family. But if you're in the church family and you have a need, all you have to do is ask, and it gets taken care of. We, we, we are not willing that there will be needy people among us because so many of us have more than we need that that just, that just wouldn't be right. So we're gonna make sure we take care of the people within our church family. So your giving, the more you give, the more benevolence money we have to give away. That's just how that works. It's, it's a percentage of our offering. So, so uh, here's, here's what I wanna just land with. Wherever you need to start, can we go back to abundance, gratitude, generosity, triangle? Where, wherever you need to start, start, start somewhere here. So remember the questions, what do I have? Who do I thank for what I have? Who can I bless because I'm grateful? Start somewhere. If you already know what you have and you just need to show some gratitude, then start there. If, you, if, you don't, if you're not seeing abundance and you don't feel, feel particularly grateful, start by giving something away. That's counterintuitive. But remember, if, if we're terrible at knowing what will make us happy, if we're just terrible at predicting that, we need outside help, this is God's map. The one that our creator, who knows us inside and out, our father, this is the map he's given us for arriving at peace and joy and contentment. Do we trust his map for us? When we live this out, we are uh, engaging with the world in a way that draws people to Jesus, plain and simple. So I just wanna invite you to that. We're gonna close uh, with a song here this morning. Um, so I just wanna offer a word of prayer, then we're gonna, we're gonna sing this song together as just a way of celebrating as we leave. I just wanna encourage you to have a lovely Thanksgiving. Please continue to pray specifically for David Gillum and Debbie Gillum uh, and for Sherry Strauss and Eric Rusa as they are all recovering um, from illness. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your abundance in our lives. You have given to us in so many ways that are just beyond what we deserve and beyond what we need. And I just pray that you would help us to be grateful and to acknowledge that that gratitude has to be directed to you, uh, that every good thing in our life comes from you. God, we uh, ask that you would put on our hearts what we can do to push back against poverty uh, on a global level, on a local level, and especially within our church family, that you would show us how we can step in and provide the needs of others as conduits of your grace. Would you do that in us and through us? And as we do that, Father, would you then draw people to your son, Jesus, as they see light and salt in us? In Christ's name we pray, amen.